This is Denise James, Calibre's Editorial Coordinator, welcoming you to the Spring 2019 edition of the Calibre Echo. In this edition, we introduce you to our Reading Resolution Challenge, encouraging our members to sign up and pledge the total of books they would like to read during this year, with a chance of winning a £20 Amazon voucher. We were delighted to speak to Calibre member and author Lynn Reed Banks as she talks about her career and the books she has written for children and adults. In other news from Calibre, we explain how you can listen to Calibre podcasts and give you some other ideas of how you might support us. Shirin Wellam, our new Head of Marketing and Fundraising, also introduces herself and explains how her varied background and experiences will be put to good use at Calibre. Finally, we finish off with a book review and recommendation from narrator Anne Stutz, who tells us about a book she read for Calibre recently. We start off with Emma, the Head of Literature and Audiobook Production, who wants to encourage you to sign up to the Reading Resolution Challenge. We are launching our first ever Reading Resolution Challenge. We want to encourage our members to get the most out of their membership by aiming to read even more books this year. To join in, all you need to do is set a goal of how many books you want to read in 2019. In return, we will give you oodles of ideas for new books, genres and authors to try. It's one resolution that even if you don't meet, you'll have fun trying. To join the resolution, sign up to the challenge by visiting our website at www.calibre.org.uk and follow the link on the homepage. Or, alternatively, you can call Membership Services on 01296 432 Enter the number of Calibre audiobooks you're pledging to read. It doesn't matter how many or how few you enter, but the aim is to enjoy more than last year, so why not give yourself a challenge? The average number of audiobooks borrowed last year was 28. Can you match this? Everyone who meets their personal target will receive a certificate from Calibre celebrating their achievement. All those who are successful will be entered into a prize draw, and one member will win a £20 Amazon voucher. The Reading Resolution runs until the 13th of December 2019, but you can sign up at any time. All those who successfully complete the challenge will be listed on our website, if permission is given, and the prize winner will be announced on the 20th of December 2019. There are so many fantastic audiobooks in our library, we can't wait for you to discover them. So on your marks, get set, press play. Next, James, our Events and Communications Officer, is going to tell you all about Calibre's podcasts. Hello everyone. I just wanted to let you know some of the exciting developments that are happening here at Calibre, in particular podcasts. Now podcasts have been around for many years, but with the advent of smartphones and home devices like Amazon's Alexa, 
they're having something of a renaissance. They also represent an ideal way for us to reach our members. There may even be a few of you listening to this as a podcast already. In order to provide our members with the best service we can, we've been hard at work pulling together a range of podcast channels that you can subscribe to or just dip into whenever you want. Firstly, we have made our current audio programmes, like this one, The Calibre Echo, and For Your Ears Only, available as podcasts. We've also added a new range of articles under the heading Calibre News. As the name suggests, this will bring the latest news from Calibre, including book highlights, author recommendations, and varied discussions about something we all love, books. To complete the lineup, we have Calibre Interviews. This is an ideal way to learn more about an author you already know, or to find somebody new. Regular listeners to this programme will know that we often interview authors, and now the full interviews can be heard on their own dedicated channel. This means we now have four main podcasts that you can listen to whenever you want. Calibre Echo, For Your Ears Only, Calibre News and Calibre Interviews. To subscribe to them, search for Calibre Audio Library on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, plus most other podcast providers. We also have all of these channels available for users of In Your Pocket. Just ask your phone to play Calibre and they should all be listed. More details can be found on our website or talk to the team at Calibre. Either phone 01-296-432-339 or email membershipservices at calibre.com. .org.uk and we will be happy to help. Thank you. And now, here is Shirin Wellam, introducing herself in her role as Calibre's Head of Marketing and Fundraising. Hello. I'm Shirin Wellam and I joined Calibre Audio Library last autumn as Head of Marketing and Fundraising when Liz Clark retired. Let me introduce you to my story. I grew up in a suburb of Liverpool and I am the first generation immigrant of Indian doctors who came to the UK to work in the newly formed NHS. I grew up with my three brothers, and as you can imagine, it was a lively, noisy household, but there was always a strong ethic of education at its heart. This meant lots of reading. I was first enrolled into my local library at the age of five. Every Saturday, my brothers and I were taken down to select our books. I started with Beatrix Potter, as I liked the illustrations. From there, I grew to love Paddington Bear and the Chronicles of Narnia, so literature has played a significant role in my childhood. I decided to study chemistry at university, but I remember asking my English teacher for a list of recommended reading, as I didn't want my world just to be about science. The books she suggested transported me to new destinations and worlds, visiting Russia, France, Turkey, all in my head, and I gained a love of modern literature, such as Muriel Sparks' The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie, which I know is in the Calibre Library. I still have that list in my desk drawer at home. As a career, 
I chose marketing and ended up travelling all over the world. I think this passion was kindled by the stories I read as a child. I soon learnt that wherever you are, you are never alone when you have a book. The many hours I spent in airport lounges were eased by shutting out the noise around me and enjoying a good read. As the year 2000 approached, I had a career change and I started to work in the charity sector. Throughout my travels, I had seen poverty, but learnt that through education, people could rise above it. That was a key driver for me, and I set about working with businesses, large and small, to change the lives of young people across the UK, helping them to understand the world of work, improving their school surroundings, and helping them believe in themselves. I fell in love with autobiographies, such as Cider with Rosie by Laurie Lee, and That's Another Story from Julie Walters. Again, both of these titles are available in our library. At the moment, I'm reading Michelle Obama's Becoming, a recent addition to the library. As I mentioned, I came to Calibre last August, and I have been working with my team to spread the word about the wonderful Calibre service and to encourage new members to join with our advertising campaign, Start a New Chapter. If you know anyone who would benefit from Calibre, please talk about the library and the service we offer. If you could put a poster up in your doctor's surgery, let us know and we can send you one. Also, if you would like to receive our monthly newsletters and communication by email, do contact us on 01296 432 339. I am delighted to be working in such a lovely, caring organisation and I look forward to hearing from you. Following on from Shirin, we go to Emma's interview with Lynn Reed Banks. Lynn Reed Banks was born in London and began studying drama, which led to acting roles on stage. She moved on to journalism before emigrating to Israel to live in a kibbutz. She started writing stage plays, which led on to her publishing her first adult fiction novel, The L-Shaped Room, in 1961. Since then, she's gone on to write numerous books for children, including the famous Indian in the Cupboard series, which was made into a film. We managed to catch up with Lynn to find out more about her interesting and varied career. Hello, Lynn, and welcome. Thank you for talking to us today. I'd just like to start off with that I, th- I think it's fair to say many people have been introduced to you through your books for children, but you actually started off your writing career in adult fiction. Well, I, I actually started it off in playwriting, which is quite a, a good training because, for, for, you know, you have to get people on and off and it's a very fixed time and so on. Very good training for for writing children's books, as it turned out, because they also, unlike adult books, which, which can go on forever and frequently do, um, you know, you've got to be disciplined with children's writing. And I, I did find, um, having written for the theatre, not with any wild success, but uh, I did, and uh, I found this a, a very good apprenticeship. 
Oh, that's fantastic. And before you published your first novel, um, sort of going back to that, in terms of your inspiration, you published your first novel and but had a very varied career which began with acting and moved on to journalism when uh, you became one of the first female reporters on British TV. Uh, can we say the first? Because oh, there was another lady who did it with really? me at the very beginning of ITN. I do believe I was the first one. Really? On oh my goodness. Well, it, ex- <laughs> I will absolutely. So you became one of the first female <laughs> I reporters. I can claim it anyway because the poor darling girl oh, is now dead. Oh, oh, it's, well, it's, it's a fantastic achievement um, to, to do that. Well, it wasn't an achievement, but it was, it was pioneering. Nobody else had done it before. Barbara and I did it back in 1955 at the second coming, as we called it, when, when the second channel, the, the commercial channel, came on there. That was when women started to make themselves felt in television news. And what types of stories were you covering in this period? Well, I'll tell you what I used to call most of them. Mother of ten in a council house. It, it was tabloid stuff for the women. Certainly the idea of covering war stories. or uh, Occasionally we'd, we'd get a, um, an industrial I remember forging my way intrepidly through strikers at Dagenham uh, with, with the camera crew linked behind me saying, go to it, Lynn, we're right behind you, and interviewing strikers. And that was about as hard as, as the stories I did. I mean, hard news that the stories I did got to. But I did interview some pretty big names in the uh, show business field. I kind of cornered that because I'd been in, in the theatre so I got the showbiz stuff quite a lot. And um, people like Robin Day and Chris Chatterway were doing all the big stuff and the, the big He-Man stuff. But as the years went by, we did get to do a few more um, more of the hard news stuff, but never war stories or anything like that. Goodness, no, not for the girls. And you, you moved on from reporting and took quite a different direction by emigrating to Israel to live in a kibbutz. Yes, that was a bit odd, wasn't <laughs> it, was, it? Well, it was certainly a change, um, but could you explain to us what a kibbutz is and what you did in your time there? Um, well, I, I got two, uh, more than two, actually, new careers. Uh, one of them was uh, mucking out chickens. One of them was in the vineyard, uh, rubbing the too many buds off the branches of the vines and various other things that you do in a communal farm. Uh, but then somebody thought it might be a good idea to ask me to teach the children English. Uh, which which they had to start at the age of about 11. And many of the other members of the kibbutz were from England or had very good English, and they'd all tried in their turn to teach English, but, but they'd failed. So they thought, I might have a go at it. And uh, actually, teaching is, of course, a performing art. And I, I learned to do it with a one-day course, they gave me before they thrust me in front of my first class. But as a matter of fact, I loved it. And if I do say so, I I turned out, when I learned the ropes and taught myself how to teach English, I, I was pretty good at it. And I did that for eight years. Wow, oh, cause so it was, it was quite a long period of time then that you were there for? I was there for nine and a half years. And all my children were born there. Could you just explain a little bit about what a kibbutz is? Well, kibbutz is, is a communal farming settlement or village in Israel where everything is held in common and uh, everybody does whatever they're good at and it's run on strictly democratic lines. 
Um, there are committees for, for everything, and uh, there's no sort of big honcho who orders everybody around. That job is taken in turn, and everybody does and contributes what, what they can and, and what they're good at, and they can go on courses and learn how to do various things like looking after children or running different branches. But it was basically a farm, and uh, we had about 350 members, um, and, uh, of course, children came along. Um, the kibbutz was about, ooh, about 11, 12 years old, I think, at the time that I joined it. It started in about 1947, and I joined, well, you can do the maths, I joined it in 1960, So, um, and I stayed until 1971. Now, um, moving on from this, it's, it's apparent in several of your novels that you use your personal stories and the influences around you of those as, as inspiration. One yes, of... but can I interrupt you? Yeah. Not for the L-shaped room. I didn't use my personal story. That was all made up. It's called fiction. Nobody ever believed it. Even people who'd known me all, all the time and had known I hadn't had time to have a baby, legitimate or otherwise... Uh, were saying things like, my dear, you have got us guessing. And uh, my mother, of course, was horrified. She said, of course, you, you do realize everyone will think this is you. Because every, every first novel is uh, loosely based on, on the author's own experience. And I said, no, oh, come on, nonsense. What if it had been a, about a homicidal maniac? Would they have been looking around for the bodies? Well, she said, it's not like that, dear, believe me. And she was quite right. I was fighting off, uh, uh, you know, suggestions that I had had a baby, but I hadn't. Oh, okay. I, d- I didn't realise that. That's, um, that must have been... Interesting, dear. Yeah, I was, yes. <laughs> uh, I can safely say then that maybe one of your more recent books, um, which is called Uprooted, oh, is an example uh, yeah. of your own experience. Well, Uprooted is one of a trilogy about me as a child. Um, the earlier two books have not made it into print, um, but they were all based, those really were very closely based on my own experience. And Uprooted is about my first year as an evacuee to Canada during the first year of the war, the Second World War, and how we um, managed. My mother, my cousin and I were sent off to Canada to avoid the bombs and the imminent invasion by Hitler, which didn't materialize, luckily. Um, and we spent five years in Canada as evacuees, and I wrote my book about the first year. And that really was very autobiographical. You are right, Emma. And it's, it's very, very um, readable as well. as I've just actually finished it. It's a lovely story, but it even has more impact knowing that there's, um, there's truth in it. Oh, thank you, Emma. Thank you very much. And going on to other formats, many of your books are available in audio to listen to, some of which you've actually narrated, including the Indian in the Cupboard series, which we've got available in the library at Calibre. And I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about what the process is like and how long it takes to record a book. Well, as as far as I can remember, and I haven't done one for several years, um, you go to a studio and uh, you read the book. Uh, You have to be very careful about rustling the pages and you can stop when you when you need to, I think. And you just read it, and you have a director, um, which is interesting because, you know, occasionally one hears um, names 
or something, if there's a bit of French or something like that, you hear it being mispronounced and you think, where was the director when he or she read it like that? Didn't the director say, <clears throat> excuse me, dear, that's not how we say that? Uh, they, they, don't, uh, they don't always intervene, but certainly in my case, well, reading my own stuff, of course, I was not likely to make mistakes of pronunciation. But uh, And I never read anybody else's book, so I don't know how it would work. But, but, you know, the people who do it are like you and Alex, very sweet and very helpful, and um, which is more than some of the cameramen at ITN were way back then when women were kept in their place. Um, it's fun. I mean, I loved reading my own books. And, and does actually hearing them in audio add another dimension to them or even make you think about them in a different way? Well, yes, it does, and uh, especially something, um, I, you sent me Melusine and Tiger Tiger, which were both read, uh, not by me, um, but by people I didn't know, and I was struck afresh by how well they were read and how well the readers acted them. I think this is very important when you're reading uh, a novel, that, that it be acted almost as if it were a play, and accents are very important. Uh, you know, you can't just read an, uh, an accented character as if it were straight uh, Queen's English. And th- this is a real skill. I- I've, I've been very impressed with, with um, the books that you've sent me so far, that the accents have been, and the acting has been, in, on the whole, impeccable. And brings a whole new dimension, of course, when you hear your own book really well read. It, it's... It's a, a real um, ego trip. It's very important, isn't it? Because if you're reading a book in print, you use your imagination. But when you hear it, it, it brings the book alive in a different way. But particularly if you visited the book before, it's, it's very important to have what you, you might imagine the book to sound like, isn't it? Well, it is a little bit like seeing it made into a movie, except that this is your book, unalloyed and unabridged. And, and, uh, but it, it is a bit like that, that you're seeing it brought to life, or rather hearing it brought to life through somebody else, through somebody else's voice. And I think it's a very interesting, even thrilling experience. Just um, again, so just the final question for you. Um, on your website, you have a great section where you are interviewing yourself and then answering the questions that you wish you'd been asked. I absolutely, I love the idea of this, I have to say. Um, and keeping in the spirit of that concept, is there anything we haven't spoken about that you'd like to mention to the Calibre members that are listening in? Well, losing your ability to read is terrible. And I would like to be asked, how are you managing that? And I'm afraid the answer is uh, I'm not being very good about it or very brave about it. But you have to adapt and you have to be uh, um, brave, I suppose, in looking ahead to how much worse it can get. And I think something like Calibre is going to be an essential aid to adapting and being good about it. Just in terms of future projects, um, I wonder if you've got anything else planned, any other books happening at all? Yes, I have two new books. Um, They haven't yet been submitted. I'm doing some revising, and of course this is quite difficult if you can't see clearly your your computer screen and have to keep boosting the, the font up. 
higher and higher before you can do it. And my son, it's, it's, uh, who's a very good writer in his own right, is doing some of the editing for me. One is about uh, um, a monster, a sort of loch monster like Nessie, who has a way of communicating with a young girl who has to save the species almost single-handed. And then there's another one about dragons. I love dragons. And this is about a future world in which dragons have taken over and uh, all the human beings known as uprights have been banished to little islands everywhere. And uh, the two species are, you know, enemies and how to bring them together and make peace in the world. Do you know when we might be expecting those at all? Are they still very much in the early stages? Well, they haven't been submitted to the publisher yet because it now seems to be the case that agents, literary agents, uh, have a duty to get the book in as good a condition as it can be before they will submit it to a publisher. They tell you, they give you feedback for which read criticism, and then you have to try and do the editing, which was normally, in, in my in earlier days, was done by an editor at a publisher after the book had been accepted. Now it's before they even send it in, they even submit it. Uh, you have to do this work and just hope that the publisher will agree with the agent about what needs doing to it. Um, it's, it's quite a change of, of work method than, than I was used to, but uh, everything changes. So that's the stage we're at now. But I hope that within a year or so, I might have a, a book or two, a new book or two out. In the meantime, you, you might try um, Bad Cat, Good Cat, which is a lovely book which came out a, year, a few years ago, um, which is about two children and two cats. Well, look out for the others anyway, um, so that gives us something to look forward to. And it just remains for me to say, really, thank you very much, Lynn, for your time and for chatting to us this morning at Calibre. It's very much appreciated. Not, not at all. I'm glad to do anything I can to help Calibre because it's doing so much to help me. Thank you. This is an edited version of our interview with Lynn Reed Banks. If you would like to listen to the full conversation, then please visit our website at www.calibre.com. .org.uk Author interviews appear under the link for choosing books in the heading titled Calibre Services. You can also listen to it via our podcasts. Just search for Calibre Audio Library from your podcast supplier or follow the links on our website. If you feel inspired to discover or rediscover Lynn's books, then we have several of her titles in the library for you to choose from. In the children's library, we have Harry the Poisonous Centipede, Catalogue number 616055. Harry the Poisonous Centipede's Big Adventure. Catalogue number 617455. Harry the Poisonous Centipede Goes to Sea. Catalogue number 617459. Indian in the Cupboard. Catalogue number 615876. The Return of the Indian. Catalogue number 616761. The Secret of the Indian, catalogue number 616762. The Mystery of the Cupboard, catalogue number 616763. The Key to the Indian, catalogue number 616556. The Farthest Away Mountain, catalogue number 616557. The Fairy Rebel, catalogue number 616759. 
Melusine, catalogue number 615578. Tiger Tiger, catalogue number 616528. Uprooted, a Canadian war story, catalogue number 617450. In the adult library, we have The L-Shaped Room, catalogue number 12819. And finally, The Backward Shadow, catalogue number 7279. In the next article, James is back with more information on other ways that members can help support Calibre. In the last Calibre Echo, we mentioned our campaign, Spread the Word, where we encourage you to help raise awareness of our service amongst your friends, family and anyone who may not have heard of the service we provide. And we would like to take this opportunity to say a big thank you for all your help with this campaign. We've decided to raise this idea again, as we now have even more ways that you can help support the vital work we do. Firstly, if you shop online and ever visit Amazon, then you may have come across Amazon Smile. Amazon Smile lets you browse and shop in just the same way as you normally would, but when you purchase through smile.amazon.co.uk, they donate 0.5% of the net price of eligible purchases to your charity of choice, without any extra cost to you. All you have to do is log into smile.amazon.co.uk and search for Calibre Audio Library in the supporting box. Then use the site as normal and Amazon makes any donations straight to us. You just have to remember to use smile.amazon.co.uk whenever you shop. Another way to help when shopping online is through easy fundraising. Easy fundraising is the UK's biggest charity shopping fundraising site. Just by using the special link when you shop online at Amazon, Tesco, John Lewis, M&S and Argos, you can raise money for Calibre at the same time. It's simple to use and it's free. Go to www.easyfundraising.org.uk forward slash causes forward slash Calibre and click support this cause. Then just follow the Easy Fundraising link each time you shop online and help Calibre simply by shopping. We are also a charity that you can choose at valelottery.co.uk. The Vale Lottery supports community projects in the local community. A ticket with a chance to win up to £25,000 costs £1 per week and 50p of each ticket sold from the Calibre Audio Library Vale Lottery page comes directly to us. Plus, a further 10p goes to other good causes. Remember with all of these options to let your friends and family know that they can help in the same way. Every donation, online purchase or ticket can help even more people discover the enjoyment and comfort that an audiobook can bring. And, as always, thank you for your support. Finally, Anne Stutz, one of our volunteer narrators, recommends a book that she has read for Calibre. Lullaby by Leila Slimani 
a deeply shocking yet moving story about the life of a French childminder whose previous hardships lead to a heinous crime. The murder of the two small children in her charge dramatically opens the novel, but the author goes on to illustrate and reflect on the social mores of our times. It explores the reasons why so many modern families choose to make use of paid childcare rather than having greater involvement themselves. The author, a French-Moroccan journalist, includes graphic descriptions of the related hardships faced by many immigrants who are forced to take jobs that are beneath their ability. Despite and without excusing the immeasurable horror of the crime described in the novel, the reader is left with an uncompromising picture of how hard life can be for so many people who live below the poverty line. That concludes this edition of the Calibre Echo. But just before we go, we wanted to let you know that if you receive books on Memory Stick, they may on occasion arrive in bigger wallets. This is to utilise the resources we have and to make sure that we can get books out to you as quickly as possible. There is no change to how you return the books. Simply put the stick back in the wallet, zip it up and reverse the label in the pouch at the front before posting it back to us. Lastly, we have an item of lost property which we wanted to bring to your attention. We discovered a ring tucked into the corner of a USB memory stick wallet. There was no longer an address label with it for us to try and track down the owner. We believe it is either an eternity or a wedding ring. So if you have lost a ring and think it may be yours, then please contact Membership Services on 01296 432 339. If you have any comments on the items featured, please contact Emma Scott at Calibre on 01296 432339 or email her at scott at calibre.org.uk That's E-M-M-A dot S-C-O-T-T at C-A-L-I-B-R-E dot org dot uk goodbye for now from all of us here and could i remind you to return this recording to caliber for other members to borrow the caliber echo was recorded and edited by alex martinig the music was provided with kind permission from josh woodward you can find more of his work on his website www.joshwoodward.com dot com 